0: Always write down on a whiteboard, sticky paper, whatever, what is it that you're actually trying to get people to do? Forget everything else. What is the main focus?
1: All right, welcome back to Design Huddle. Today we are going to be talking about ways to improve retail websites. So this is going to be kind of like a catch-all for if you work with customers, clients, or you own and uh, you know any sort of you're selling anything online. This episode is for you. So we'll start from the top. Um, you know, you know before you know full disclosure, whenever you're doing feature changes or you're tweaking a retail site. I would always encourage A-B testing. There's a lot of different ways to do that. We could probably do an entire episode of what a good A-B test looks like. But basically, that means before you roll something out, being confident that it's actually something that's going to add value to your end users slash customers. With that being said, um, the first problem that you're going to want to solve is, does my site provide what the user wants? And There's a few ways to think about this. The number one thing is that you need a clear call to action and value prop. So when you land on the page, especially if you're like a new, let's pretend we're like a new hat brand, because we love talking about hats. And we were starting a hat <laughs> company. We need to figure out in the first five seconds what are the benefits to me, you know, as a potential customer. Like what can your hats offer me that other hats don't? Mustafa, I know you've done a ton of web design. Like when you're thinking about creating that good above the fold experience, desktop mobile. What are some other things that come top of mind for you?
0: Um the the main thing I suppose is like what the main call to action is. Like so ma- a while back I was working on something called the payment request, payment request API, which is a thing in in Chrome. Um and the idea was uh I think it was what they called Amazon's million dollar button when they actually basically created a Buy Now button, and that made them become profitable. Uh, And so like a lot of the stuff that we're working on is how can we make guest checkout really quick and and possible? Because it's weird. The first iterations of like e-commerce sites, basically were asking for so much upfront from the user that there's no comparable um, user experience in the real world. Like you walk into a shop, you pick something up, you decide you want it, and then you just take it and put your credit card and go. Occasionally, you might be um, pin, like harangued for like, would you like a store card or whatever? And if depending on the sign up process of that, you might sign up if it's really quick and easy. Otherwise, you say, nah, I, I'm, I'm too busy. Um, but what's weird is the first set of e-commerce sites, you try to buy something. And then it's like, we need your name. We need your location. We need all this information that seemed was purely gathered for marketing purposes rather than for the purpose of helping the person get through the checkout really quickly. So when we were doing this um, new API, it was like, okay, let's leave all of that silliness aside. Let the person get through the checkout because that's the most important thing for the business. Um, and guest checkout always see, like companies always see improvements on that. So again, it's like if, if your goal is to sell stuff, then sell mm-hmm. stuff and think about how can I sell stuff easily? Um, and so like guest checkout is number one like i remember like uh i think it was it may have been domino's pizza like they had the most amazing guest checkout and i liked it so much i signed up for an account and that to me was like right they've not tricked me but they've enticed me because i have so liked the way that it was easy just to get and people don't think about like, pizza places. Yeah, i mean domino's like, is
1: known for from the second you start the process to like, and they get your payment, they tell you exactly where the pizza is. Yeah, yeah, you know, that, the that's amazing. Cook is putting it in the oven. It's they're boxing your pizza. It's out for delivery. They're five minutes away. It's at your door. You know what I mean? It's just like this like real time update experience. You know exactly where your pizza is. But it's so, a form of
0: it is a form of e commerce site. If you if you think about the if e commerce site, is someone who's just making a transaction, buying a product or service. I think that they were like to me pioneers of how you do it correctly, and obviously stuff like Uber Eats, which you wouldn't think as an e-commerce site in a sense, but they've mastered the experience and like of how you can buy something, and I think that's where the innovation always seems to happen outside of the industry. Um, you think that. Taxi companies should have had the perfect billing experience. They've been doing it for years. It took people who had no knowledge on the core business of driving a cab to completely yeah. disrupt the whole industry. And I think Amazon as well. It's like Amazon was just selling books, but now they sell everything as, as a storefront. So I think going back to your original question, um, it's just make the, what what always write down on a whiteboard, sticky paper, whatever. What is it that you're actually trying to get people to do? Forget everything else. What is the main focus? And then look at your site and say, right, is this thing actually being achieved? Like, can people just buy stuff? And it, and it seems obvious, but, you know, the, the challenge that a lot of companies have in agencies is um, there's a lot of bureaucracy and organization that gets in the way. It's like, we need this part of the site. It's like, no, no, you will need to sell stuff. <laughs> so how and make that experience so delightful that people will remember your website and automatically think, right? I want to buy flowers. This is the site I want to go to. Yeah.
1: No, and I I mean another like one of the points that you hit on was this ability to have like a clear value prop, answer yeah. the user's need, and also evolve. You know, do do things a little bit differently. I remember when I was helping a, uh, there were like another on-demand delivery service company. It was like a startup. And I was advising them and they had tons of products. I want to say hundreds of products, but they didn't have a search bar. So one of the first simple features that we did was we added a search bar to, you know, the, the, you know, the anchored menu at the top of the page. You know, again, we got into this in previous conversations. It it would still look like a tennis racket slash magnifying glass (laughs) as like the, as the universal search icon. That's besides the point they put one on users could click it in. And then they also used. um, Smart suggest or auto suggest, which is actually yeah. a great way that because you can put your products in and people can kind of start typing and they can get recommendations right out of the box. It was insanely beneficial for a lot of reasons. One is that not only did like cart size increase, um, people bought more, there was less bounces, there was more That's registered funny. users, all of their core metrics improved because of a simple thing like search. Because you can imagine that. If you're on a site and you're not really sure what you want, there's different types of people. There's people that would go to a site and they would know exactly what they want, and there's people that are just browsing. So for that browsing use case or persona, it's important to kind of cast a wide net to make sure that like you can find help them find exactly what they're looking for and making sure along the way you're highlighting the clear benefits. Yeah. Oh, new new users, new customers, you know, free shipping on orders over $50 is by far one of the most common that value prop is usually, you know, pinned to the top of the page. So, you know, as you're going through the process, you're like, you feel like you're getting a deal. There's that instant gratification, like where I'm saving money. This is like, I'm okay with making this purchase. So there's actually a lot more psychology that gets into this, you know, than I than I initially ever expected. But the bottom line is, is that, I guess the takeaway from that particular example is if you have a bunch of stuff, organizing it is always a good idea. Sometimes just creating content, like, categories in a in a hamburger menu isn't enough so integrating search is an easy way to make it easier for people to find exactly what they're looking for and helping them avoid dead ends where a dead end typically is just someone leaving the site so what do um, you think that's what
0: i was, yeah. was going to ask you actually so what do you do in situations where someone's looking for a product but they don't you know because spelling can sometimes go wrong or yep. maybe that that the stuff is out of stock and someone searched something and then they get no results what would you say from your experience would be um, the recommended thing for designers or developers to do at that point.
1: Yeah. The most, the, the, my favorite one was that if someone had a, usually now if you have a typo, it'll auto correct and kind of it's smart enough. The, the search engine is smart enough to figure it out yeah. for like, you know, most of these sites, it's just like a third party plugin that they work kind of out of the box. But the most the, one of my favorite ex- ways to execute this is actually if, if there's no results, you actually provide the most popular items on the site, so it's like you know if you're a clothing company and you know somebody types in hats, but all your hats are sold out, you give them to the top selling shirts, so that their use their their journey isn't isn't over. They're still looking at something, and if you want to almost guarantee someone's going to leave or go back, it's you know zero results found or something along those lines. Provide
0: them with so, nothing, basically, like yeah, if it's nothing, provide opportunity to leave.
1: Uh, an empty search is basically the same as a 404 in my eyes.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, so it's almost like the, the
1: Wikipedia thing. of like
0: try and keep someone clicking indefinitely. Well, not indefinitely, but at least try to allow them to land on something that will um, commit to whatever they were actually doing. Now, that's quite interesting. I, I In direct e-commerce sites, I don't have that much experience apart from some of the partners and consultancy stuff that I did a bit of on the e-commerce side.
1: Um, well, w- one of the things that I think you would be able to, like, on your from your payment history, though, is good e-com experiences also understand that users don't have unlimited time. So prioritizing yeah. a user and, like, so one metric people, like, look at is time on site. And time on site, if it's, is, if it's too high, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good experience. Yeah. So one company I've worked with, we actually decreased time on site because we added, like, a, you know pay integration where you click a button. Basically it's like one tap and then you skip the checkout process and like it's two clicks and you're done. So that immediately expedited like the most painful part of the process. So there's like little things like that, that you can nudge the, the customer in the right direction. And I think that the number one thing that I think is missed is a lot of times in these meetings, designers are not getting a seat at the table it's business and product managers making the decisions when there's like really kind of smart design decisions that can be made to ultimately impact these like five business goals that everyone's driving towards. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's just, I mean, I think, so what my question to you is that is there any other ways that you can simplify a site to make it feel more seamless and less clunky?
0: Yeah, so when you said seat at the I remember someone telling, a, a famous designer telling a joke, which I'm going to... It's like, the reason why... Um, it's like, designers always want to seat at the table, which explains why there's so many chairs in design museums. <laughs> 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 I think it's it worse to that effect, which I, I just it just made me laugh, because um, that always resonates with designers. Uh, the other... Uh, what thing, well, to answer your question about... Um, I remember when I was doing a design... When I used to do a lot, more, a lot of design reviews back in the day, Uh, of a really major U.S. retailer. Um, And one thing I didn't consider is they didn't actually ship outside of the U.S., but it was like 40 steps to actually buy something like from the moment where you find it, add it to cart, adding all these details. And it's only till the end that I realized, oh, we don't ship to the... Because it's like, it'll say zip code and there's no uh, drop down to change the country. And you think to yourself, what a waste of time. Like There's so much clever things that you can do from an engineering perspective. And a lot of these things are like engineering things. So uh, IP detection to say, all right, this person, we can't ship to this person. Say, are you sure we only ship to the US or like whatever? Um, And be cognizant that a lot of use cases will not be what you experience in your studio or whatever. It's going to be all all manner of things. And so there was, I mean, I wrote an article. I don't know if you had a chance to check it out. um, The user fudged experience article. And uh, it was a story that a friend of mine, Gordon, um, who, again, I hope to get him on the podcast at some point in the future. He told me about um, how you figure out these experiences. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe I have mentioned this to you. So there was like McDonald's were trying to create a new milkshake because um, they thought that we want to make a much more sweeter milkshake, and here's the thing when you take when you ha- already have this predefined idea and you take it to a usability study, what are you going to do? you're going to make all variations of milkshakes, some sweeter than the others, and then you go to people which one is the sweetest one, and they're going to tell you which one is the sweetest one they're not going to tell you what they actually need so McDonald's like they did the study uh they got a sweeter milkshake, but they didn't see any cell change so then they hired like um a consultant Clayton, I believe his name was something. Uh, and he basically sat in a McDonald's like 18 hours a day and just observed what people were doing, seeing what the behavior is. And what he found was between the time of 6.30 and 8.30 in the morning, that's when most of the milkshakes were being sold, which was like, what's going on? And so he actually started pulling people up on the second day and goes, why are you buying this? And they are like, they are a bit sheepish, kind of embarrassed to say, well, listen, I've got a long commute in New York to get to work. I need a breakfast, but I don't want something that's going to be consumed straight away because I I'll get hungry at 10 o'clock. So I want something that will be slow for the hour long commute. Um, and the best thing, as he describes, getting the job done was a milkshake because you can't drink it. It's too cold. It's really thick in the straw. And so basically they were hiring the milkshake to do a job of breakfast because there wasn't much alternative that time in the morning. And that was the epiphany moment. moments. OK. You're, McDonald's, you're solving the wrong problem. You're trying to say, how do we sell more milkshakes? You you first have to understand, what, why are people hiring a milkshake in the first first case? And so right. they, they brought the ice cream machine close to the front to make it easier to sell so people can, all oh, right, it's just there, I can buy it really quickly because morning commute. Then they started introducing the breakfast bars and the breakfast um, shakes and whatever, and they saw like sales go up sevenfold. So to take it back to the e-commerce stuff, you have to observe what people are doing. Sometimes like this design sprints are great, and like it, like those workshops, when you definitely know what the problem is, and you want to test what the problem is and come up with a step by step usability solution, what they don't do is tell you why someone's necessarily doing something, and though like ethnographic studies is where you observe people, which take a long time, um, and so. The experience of me going through this massive retailer, no one actually observed people going, like, from my opinion, it didn't look like anyone was observing anyone, from different backgrounds, buying stuff day in, day out. Um, And so if you really want to understand what people are doing, you have to observe them. Like, surveys are good on scale, but they'll they'll show you what's going on, they won't tell you why. Uh, Face-to-face, you'll be able to explore why, but you can't do them on scale. So ethnographic studies over a period of time, I think, are really useful from that point of view cuz sometimes I remember
1: I related to that I remember looking again I'm like a little bit of like a analytics nerd when it comes to UX but like I remember looking in um the data and like analytics and I searched I literally filtered by like which page had the highest exit rate so people would go on the page and leave one page was like 95% oh, wow. it was because like the page was just like it would take you to like uh it wasn't a 404 four, it was just like a The page would serve, but it would basically be a blank page. The people would immediately leave the site. But it was such a good thing to find because just by fixing that, which is essentially a bug, right? I'm describing a bug. But that's another thing of what you're getting at is that you understand the user's journey, you understand where the pain point is, and then you prioritize it and you fix it. So, like, a lot of times it's so funny because we go and put all these bell whistles, I want push notifications, search bars, like I want all of the newest, like, APIs, but at the end of the day, you just need to figure out like where are people coming in, why are they staying, and where are they leaving. If you can, yeah. fo- if you can kind of hone in on those three things, then you can figure out which milkshake you want. You know what I mean? Then you can figure out why people are coming to the site. Most people are not coming to the site, you know, for what you think a lot of the times. But I love that McDonald's example for a lot of reasons. Uh, it also makes me really want to want a milkshake. So we should <laughs> probably get milkshakes the next time we record. But I do love well, that I- story, and I think it's very relevant because. One of the best, the best UX designers I've ever worked with, they always like, especially when you do design sprints, when you're focusing on a very specific problem, they are relentless at making everyone come back to that problem. And you're not, you don't, you don't kind of get sidetracked by all these other like secondary and you know tertiary issues. So, um, yeah, I mean, do you have any other, any other examples or is there any, is there any experiences that like you particularly think are like really well done, like, I mean it, it it let's be honest. In the pandemic, there's been a lot more online shopping. This was a huge opportunity for companies to prioritize a good mobile web and yeah. web experience because they're getting everyone sitting at home online. Yeah. So, I think some companies really took advantage of this and, you know, ultimately it's going to set them up for success. I have a few in my head, but I'd love to hear what 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 companies or brands do you think did particularly well? during COVID to separate themselves from some, maybe their competition.
0: I think like Uber Eats is the one, which I I really like their experience because they, they really focus on what you're trying to actually do. Um, and if you have to, I mean, what's interesting about them is you're not just designing how to buy stuff. You're designing how to get people who are really hungry through, (laughs) through an actual experience. And when people are hungry, they're like maybe, well, they, I think there's a term called hangry where it's like people get really frustrated. Um, and so you're you're thinking about the actual state of the person rather than well like how can we make the the, the buy button bouncy in blue. Um, so they, that's quite interesting. Like the the food delivery services, Amazon obviously are very, very good at it because they optimize like really extensively. There's the flower store, which I, I always call it one eight hundred. Is it eighteen hundred flowers? Is one eight hundred flowers right? One eight hundred flowers. Yeah, I always call them eighteen hundred flowers, and the people in America just laughing because that's not what it's called. Um, their experiences are pretty cool in terms of getting someone through checkout really well, and they optimize for that quite heavily. Um, but yeah, no, so that those kind of experiences are really
1: good. Um, so I have some other examples for you. I want to know if you've seen any of them. So, this digital agency called Digital Silk basically recently reviewed some of the top companies that, you know, improved their designs during COVID. So I'll read the top five. And I've seen, I've used probably two of the five, but the first was Ikea. Everyone knows Ikea, right? Ikea's yeah, online sales have reached double what they did a year ago during COVID-19 crisis. No surprise here that furniture companies and home furnishing companies have been through the roof as people are tired of staring at their couches. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in some countries, including Denmark, Ikea's e-commerce sales are close to 10 times pre pandemic levels digital silk credits innovations such as launched advanced virtual showrooms with mobile and deep learning yeah. so i've seen this before where like you can take a photo of your room and then you can take the couch and drop it in yeah so this is an example of ikea being like we're not only going to just do good web design web design best practices but we're going to integrate new technologies like you know, AI they, as a way to they're known for that.
0: Though. So, like I think we've spoken about this before, where they they're known to do the ethnographic studies and observe people in their home. And although they're not, they don't call themselves a technology company. Uh, the way they design their furniture, like the chargeable surfaces and stuff, they they put it in specific places because they know that's where people place their devices. And again, it's that wrapping the experience around the people thing that we've spoken about quite a few times now. Yeah. Um. So they're known for that, and also if you the way you know there's genius is when you look at the directions of uh, assembling their flat pack there's no written word that is genius like to me and and they design the actual screw fixings in a way that you cannot mix them up um i was going to start singing rick ashley again i don't know why (laughs) they cannot let you down and they keep you you know I, I, so
1: this is, my, this is my take on IKEA. I think the products are very well designed, but the product materials I think are the number one reason why I have since moved on past my post-college days. I just didn't feel like if I'm buying a piece of furniture and I want it to last forever, I typically wouldn't go to IKEA. But I totally agree with you that the, the, the amount of engineering and thought that goes into their products, it's no surprise that this carried over into the website.
0: Now, if you, if if you want to buy good stuff, <laughs> we're talking about IKEA. You want to buy the good stuff, you have to pay a bit. That we solid, proper, the solid, proper wood. Yeah. Um, that stuff is really, I mean, but you're paying for it. But like, even though the light fittings, but you can see that there seems to be with IKEA just love in their design. When you go to their showrooms, there's like the, everything is really well engineered. Um, but anyways, let's look at some of the other examples that you. Yeah,
1: mentioned. yeah, yeah. So moving on, this one's very similar to what we already talked about. So we'll just quickly touch on this. Uh, Papa John's arguably Domino's biggest competitor in the U S pizza delivery as a whole has gone up during the pandemic, but Papa John's has had the most digital success by offering features such as no contact delivery, a smooth online ordering process and a Papa track tool that allows customers to keep tabs of their orders. I think that Domino's did this first. I think Papa John as a result had to compete and have like a mirroring feature and functionality, also, a lot of companies like this was similar to Uber Eats. This no-contact delivery, where people really didn't want to interact, was yeah. a smart move, right? Where people could just drop their bag of food outside their door. They didn't have to actually talk to anybody. They could get the bag, and then you know, this was during the time where people were like, you know, sanitizing the food bags and whatnot. When we didn't, I know think, what
0: was yeah, going no, on. but I think the feature of um, being able to observe your delivery driver because people are hungry and agitated, and they want to, they want to be informed. Again, it's like, it's like the. A perception of speed talk which i give where if you show a blank screen that's really bad if you show a spinner that's really bad but if you show progress even if it's slow then a person we okay right i can just go to the bathroom quickly wash my hands okay i know i'm not going to miss the person you know again it's that reassurance thing so you can imagine someone choosing one delivery service company over another simply for that feature because then it's like peace of mind so um yeah that's really cool
1: yeah i mean that one's kind of very similar to what you already were hitting on Domino's. so the next one, this one is always the top. I think this is a good example of a product that re- their their in store experience tries to reflect the digital experience. So the next one's Nike. Nike boosted e commerce performance by waiving online fees, um, the subscription program behind digital services such as the Nike Plus app, and providing free access to fitness classes and other resources. Oh, wow. So Nike basically said, "Listen, we are a fitness brand." People are at home. So what can we do to build more loyalty and trust? Let's open it up and have free classes, you know, free subscriptions to these premium workouts to help people like with their mental health. It's brilliant because then you're associating Nike with a fitness health first company the next time you're thinking about purchasing something. That's so become quite, quite a big different.
0: thing in America, right? Because there's like the company, was it Pen, 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 Peloton? They, they, uh Peloton? Like a, that's the one um it's like social media meets exercise Biking, yeah yeah so, i mean
1: it's it's insane the peloton culture in the u.s because it's another company that did it, it like, I very bet, well they, the bikes are they very hit expensive. the right time
0: they hit the right time right? they
1: came it's like the in terms of like business development you think about go-to-market plans you could you can't i mean it's a it's a shame they they were fortunate to make the most of a very bad situation obviously yeah, but people People were – if you were going to spend money, people were obviously be, being cautious about what they spent money on. But people were splurging on home fitness because if you're stuck in your house and you don't feel like you you can't get outside as much, that was the only way people could maintain their sanity. So Peloton yeah. is very similar to Nike. And That's also why there's so much of these like fit tech companies that have come up of, of late. But this – I love this tying it back to e Nike Plus app also gives you the way to like go back and buy products that the instructor sees. Peloton does the same thing. Well, you, They always wear their Peloton shirts and Peloton pants and Peloton shoes and Peloton weights. So the next time you associate it and you're like, oh, I need a new tank top, you go to their site to buy it. So this is just a smart play overall, offering something free to get up funnel to ultimately convert more people down funnel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, cool. Next one, William sonoma the leading retailer of kitchen tools and appliances taking advantage of surging consumer interest in cooking, baking by its enhancing its digital customer experience through operational improvement and tech innovation. So this is kind of fluffy. They didn't really say anything specific here. But um, no surprise, people are cooking more. I think what they did is like, if I remember going to Williams-Sonoma site, they just cleaned it up. It's much easier. It's it's very fast too, uh, I, I believe, in terms of performance the last time I was on there. And the checkout process is like, couldn't be easier. So they made small tweaks to make it better. But um, I mean, any have you ever been on Williams-Sonoma? Any Is that a US brand? Do they have that in the yeah, UK? Yeah, no, and
0: I'm not sure familiar. Um, they might be in the UK. I, one thing, I just had a bit of the epiphany moment. Do you think the fact that a lot of the engineers and designers were stuck at home started to empathize with people. Yeah. And then, like again, this is like, it, it could be, it's not based on any evidence, but if you see that these experiences have been proven, it's like, I, I had to order some IKEA stuff when you're working for IKEA, and you think, this is such a pain. Like, wouldn't it be great if blah? And then because the makers become the users and they start to empathize, because not everyone's internet connectivity is going to be amazing. Not everyone's tech setup, especially in the first few months, for sure was not going to be great. And suddenly you start realizing who you're designing for. Perhaps again, I get it. That's it's all hypothetical. But I wonder if that helped, especially the companies which um, was enabling people to just do stuff for themselves, like you're building your own furniture or this cooking for yourself or like providing your own fitness instruction type stuff, like being your own health instructor. Yeah. I wonder if that was fueled by the makers who were in that situation. I I think
1: it's a great hypothesis. I would say yes. I mean, without any data to back it up, it sounds very. I mean, you think about it, right? Like, if we were at, imagine if we were at those companies, right? And we were designing these, and we're in those situations. It's always easier to build things if you can empathize with the customers or the users. A lot of times, products that don't land well, you get people that don't understand the market you're trying to you're trying to go after. So, I totally agree that there was just like this. For the one of the first, you know, in our lifetime, everyone was on the same page, right? Like, regardless of your upbringing, background, ethnicity, we were all in the same boat together. And we had to figure it out together, which, you know, hopefully one thing that we can take away from this awful period was that there's a little bit more empathy for people that come from different situations. And empathy from a design perspective is one of the most important skills that people don't emphasize enough.
0: Yeah. Uh, but then also, we also have to always acknowledge that we, we're never our users. Um, so I th- although I imagine, again, this is our guesswork, which, you know, it might be convenient because it was like we're at the end of the tunnel, so we're, we're trying to um, shape right. what's happened. But um, you're, it's always important to try and really observe. You're not always going to be a user, but these I think the pandemic has allowed for like Eureka moments or like Epiphany moments for a lot of designers and developers. For sure. Um, it's, you know, just performance that you realize that even if you're not on the mobile web not everyone's internet connection is going to be great you've got multiple connections happening at the same time people streaming homeschooling and you've got to do stuff and order stuff online patience is wayne finn like all these things do contribute um so yeah no these are good tips i think and e-commerce is not my strongest space what was that e-commerce is not my biggest thing but um Yeah, that was like
1: my, that's why I was like pick the topic because it's one of my bread and butters. But last one, just to kind of bring it all home and then we'll summarize like, you know, some of our top tips. But yeah, uh, Drizzly, which I don't believe is in the UK because it's Mm. only in the US right now, but it's basically Uber Eats for alcohol, the digital marketplace for alcohol that works with local retailers that has been experiencing dramatic growth in sales. The week of March 30th, Drizzly's sales were up almost 500% over its baseline of eight weeks prior. Approximately forty percent of recent orders have been from new customers. Again, another company, right time, right place. Yeah. But they did improve the experience significantly. Like I remember using it back in the day, and I just could not use it. Um, but it's a phenomenal like the the experience that I was I've used it in the past. Um, it's very similar to Uber. It's easy to find. Um,
0: Do you know what's really interesting? Like. I was doing my own, like, there's a course which I created on Skillshare, which is like a free course that anyone can sign up with. And when you create a course trying to teach the principles of UX, I come up with this fake app, which was like Uber Eats, but for coffee. And I, yeah. I kept thinking, this would never fly because why would someone want to do that? And then what I noticed during the pandemic is people still wanted these, like, premium coffees like the lattes with the syrups and so a, a lot of these coffee companies were partnering up with uber eats or equivalents to actually do the coffee delivery and i was like man if i had just done this stuff on my own
1: well there's another <laughs> it, it's so funny because there's like the uber for x right for yeah of everything. course but um well there's there's two things one is that people um i saw i heard someone talk about like what about uber eats or like uber for trucking where like the truck has to go pick stuff up i was like that's not uber trucking that's just trucking like that's what you're <laughs> supposed to do they go to a location they that's the hs or deliver. like fedex <laughs> yeah like that's like that's just like normal supply chain but the other one that was popular is that like so you have all of uber eats is like all genres of food so another really popular company in, in the u.s or delivery service is slice and they just do pizza so it's oh, just okay. pizza restaurants so they they their niche is like we are going to be the best and have all the pizza and all the discounts for pizza lovers. Arguably, because that's probably the top performing, you know, ver, you know, takeout option in the U.S. I, I would imagine. I'm, I'm like, I'm not sure, but but
0: well, they do all the brands, or just like the artisan ones as well, or like just everything? they do all. They'll do. Okay. So I think
1: they do everything besides like Papa John's and like they won't do like the big corporate chains but they do every mom and pop shop like in your area, which is pretty cool if the mom and pop shop signs off on it. And obviously during COVID, you know, companies that never did delivery pretty much had to do it in order to survive. So no, absolutely. No.
0: And also there's like a sort of um, social aspect to the selling point as well. Right. You want to help your local businesses and whatnot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. So to let's, summarize, let's, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll bring it all home. So I'm going to, I made some notes. So I'm just going to call it a few that we had. Um, you know, add a value prop around why someone should, you know, create account, have a CTA button above the fold, use search if you have a a large number of products, making sure you have a streamlined checkout process, Um, allow checkout as a guest was another really good one, descriptive CTAs, um, one-click checkouts, or, you know, integrating other, you know, payment solutions is always a good way um, to do it. We talked a lot about, you know, making sure you're, um, looking at how users interact with the site, you know, basically looking at data to justify any design decisions. And lastly, like, is the kind of the catch-all of like, embrace the technology that's coming. And I think that's like the IKEA example where they, they kind of doubled down on having a good digital storefront. And then they also embraced new technologies where they might not be experts on, but now they're a leader in the space because yeah. they committed to it and they saw a use case for it to be successful. It doesn't always work, but sometimes it pays off. And I do think that these really difficult times of the co- you know COVID and this pandemic um, actually made people more innovative. They were forced to be a little bit more creative to help you know make ends meet. And we've unfortunately we've unfortunately we've lost a lot of small businesses along the way. Yeah, and some companies came out stronger. But there's a lot of learnings here. So I've been just been in very much after like, you know, getting vaccinated, I've been in a very like reflective phase of like, what what is the last year and a half meant? Of course, from like a social and <laughs> economic and whatnot, but like also just from as like a designer in my day-to-day life, like what have I seen? So that's just like my take. Those are my summaries. Anything else I missed there, Mustafa?
0: Yeah, no, I think just again, to summarize this, what is it? If you're going to uh, pick one action that you want your user to do, focus on that as your primary thing. And make sure that the funnel is all focused about that. If the goal is to get people to sign up to a newsletter, that's completely fine and noble. But know that if you're optimizing for that, that's what you should do. If your goal is to sell something, then make the whole experience of selling, buying something um, really easy and delightful to do. So yeah, I love thing.
1: it. That's a great, great way to, to summarize. Speaking of call to actions, make sure if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're almost at 100 subs. That's a big deal for us. We only launched it like a couple weeks ago. We're very excited. All you have to do is type in Design Huddle Podcast on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Also, we'd love the comments. Please comment. We'll try to reply to every comment. And yeah, that's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in to Design Huddle. And we will catch you on the next episode. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Design Huddle. The opinions expressed are solely our own and do not express the views or opinions of our employer.